This is an AMI podcast. I would like to acknowledge that this podcast was produced and hosted on the unceded ancestral and traditional lands of the Squamish, the Musqueam, and the Tsleil-Waututh people. I feel truly honored to live, to work, and to play on these lands. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Accessing Art with Amy. I'm your host, Amy Amanti. My pronouns are she, hers. The art of using fabric is not something that I'm overly familiar with. If you ask me about painters or actors or musicians, then yeah, I can tell you that I know a bunch of them. But in meeting Jenna Reed, I have discovered such a richness and a power to this fabric art form and how Jenna combines the relationships of the textiles that she works with to memory, community, and activism. It really gets my own artistic juices flowing. So joining us from her home today in Toronto, please give a warm welcome to Jenna Reed. Hi, my name is Jenna Reed. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a white settler a psychiatric survivor, and a queer cis woman. And I'm a fiber artist. Welcome, Jenna. Really excited to have you on the show. A fiber artist. First off, tell me what that is, because I have no idea. Yeah, absolutely. So I often um, talk about my practice by uh, situating myself as a fiber artist or a textile artist. And what that really means is that I just work with cloth. I primarily work with practices like quilting, natural dyeing, banner making, bandana making, and silk screening. But all of these things happen with and on uh, textiles. So I'm so curious about this because I often I'm out in the world and I see different textiles of different colors and patterns and all that kind of stuff. So talk to me a little bit about like what types of textiles you like to use and how that maybe facilitates part of the process. Because again, like I'm a total stranger to this art form. So I find this curious. Yeah, and this has changed over the years for me. When I first started making things with cloth, I was uh, really mostly only working with cotton and particularly what's known as quilting cotton, which is a particular weight of fabric that quilters use, knowing that it just has a consistent way that it it will wash up and Mm. shrink and, and how you work with it. But nowadays, it really will depend on what my project is. So if I'm quilting or natural dyeing, I'm mostly working with cotton that is unbleached. If I'm making banners, uh, which is work that happens in a very different way, at a very different pace, I work with anything that comes across my desk or that I find in the world. And then when it is projects that kind of work in between that, I like to also incorporate things that come from our day-to-day lives. So working with cloth that is people's old clothing, that holds memory in it because it was used in the home or in your life or things like that. Oh, I love that idea. That's almost like um like an upcycling, um, of taking found objects and memory objects and making them into something else. So let's let's dive into that process a little bit. Like, I don't know, can you talk maybe about a specific project that you've worked on recently that combines these elements? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm currently working on a project in which I am bringing together both of my practices, bringing together the hyper uh, fast, very public production of banner making with the very slow and typically within the private sphere uh, quilt making. And within this project, what I'm doing is talking to different mad and disabled activists and looking at the ways in which they contribute to social justice action, but not necessarily in the streets or on the front lines. And so with this, I'm asking activists to come to our conversations with textiles that mean something to them. And that is incorporated into the pieces that I'm making to reflect uh, our conversation, but also their contributions to activism across community spaces. Oh, I love this. So so if I was a part of your project, for example, I'd come with a piece of fabric that's meaningful to me. So it could be, I don't know, I guess it could be a piece of a t-shirt that I wore to, I don't know, uh, let's say a protest that I was at at one time in my life that really meant something around disability justice. And then I give you that that fabric and you, what do you do with it? Yeah, then from there, we would have a conversation. I would ask you some questions about what community means to you, what activism means to you, and the ways in which you see yourself as showing up for um, for for these struggles, but also for these moments of coming together. And from there, then I kind of have both of us thinking through how we take your textile and match them in with the textiles that I use within my community work. And then it just starts to take shape from there. So when you create work like this, Jenna, what is the end result? Like, where does it live? Does it, uh, you know, do you put it on display somewhere? Is it a piece in a gallery or where does the final product live? Yeah, so this project where I'm marrying my quilt making with my banner making is very new for me. So mm-hmm. where it lives is uh, is yet to be determined because it's still in the process of being made. For sure, historically, the quilts that I make typically live on beds, although sometimes I make quilts that have a lot of kind of, um, they're either very distinctly quilts or they are using kind of a lot of quilting methods, but also are not quite quilts. And those ones have been in exhibits before. And then my banners are in the public. They are being used kind of in uh, action during protests and often are at the front or, or used within kind of the choreography of the action uh, to be part of what's happening. Mm, I love that idea. Um, You're going to hear me say that a lot because this is such a new genre for me. And I just, as an artist and creator myself, I'm thinking about, huh, what can I get Jenna to commission that I can use in another piece, right? So that there's this storytelling narrative between what you do and what I do. And oh my gosh, it just makes me so excited. Uh, (laughs) That's a conversation for another day. Jenna, you had started off by introducing yourself as a psychiatric survivor. And I wonder how that relates to the work that you do, if you're comfortable sharing some of the some of your your thoughts and your feelings around that intersection. 
Yeah, absolutely. So another way that I often introduce myself is by speaking to the different roles that that really shape up how I exist in this world and what I'm Mm -hmm. doing. And so in those, I see myself as an artist. I see myself as an activist and as an academic or a scholar. And all of that work gets stitched together through my involvement in community and through my involvement in organizing. And this all started when I moved to Toronto initially, well over a decade ago, when I was going through a lot of crisis and distress, and as a result, came into community with folks who were organizing against rights abuses within psychiatric systems. And so as I was coming to understand my own experiences of crisis and distress, I also came to learn that there is great joy and celebration and beauty and magic of existing in this world in which you are perceived or are different. And so how does that inform the work that I do? Well, to me, it just feels impossible to tease these things out. How I exist in terms of doing community organizing deeply informs the ways in which I ask questions and engage in creative work. It also also deeply informs how I do research and art informs how I do organizing within psychiatric survivor communities. And and do you often find that there are other folks in, in the psychiatric community that you uh, like invite into these projects, as you were talking about earlier, in terms of um, having the discussion around a piece that you're creating? Have you found that, that this community has, has been open to this artistic expression? Oh, absolutely. I think if you look at the heart of any social movement organizing, or if you look at the heart of any kind of community space, Art and cultural work is really uh, it, it, it's really a driving force or a thing that brings us together or a thing that kind of it, it just brings life into what yeah. we're doing. I don't think we're all artists. I don't think we're all making art, but I do think that it's such a central component to how we uh, it, just how we organize and how we dream up new worlds and how we celebrate ourselves together and how we also push for change in this world. Yeah. Um, Have you found, Jenna, that there are, um, with your lived experience and, and how you create your artwork, have you found that there have been any barriers for you that, um, that have arisen over the time that you've been creating? Yeah, this is an interesting question. I think for sure there are all sorts of barriers that exist when you go through the world in a way that you are kind of in and out or consistently experiencing crisis and distress or just move through the world differently. So for instance, for me, I have a lot of stuff in terms of what it means for my body to be productive, what pace I can move at, how much I can do within a day or a week, or what I need in terms of recuperation time if I've been in a space of hyperproduction or even just a small amount of production. The more productive you are, I mean, this is kind of capitalism and neoliberalism 
as it intersects with art. But the more you can make, often the more celebrated that is. And that doesn't work for a lot of bodies. I also (laughs) have experienced barriers in a way that might be not so much talked about. So for instance, whenever I situate myself as a psychiatric survivor, and I am speaking about my artwork, no matter how much I frame my artwork as being deeply connected to social justice issues, always what is expected of my art or what is put on my art when people are engaging with it is this idea that what they're actually going to get from my art is the story of my madness. So I think it's a barrier that when we think about folks who have mental health diagnoses, we only see their art as looking inward and showing us pictures of madness and or showing us how mad people heal themselves and, and therapize their experiences. Whereas my art is about looking outwards and asking questions and thinking about how we change the world. To me, that's a barrier that we can't get out of kind of putting mad art into this type of a box. Yeah, you know, I, I find that a lot with um, with disability art in general, where sometimes, and it's not exactly the same thing, but sometimes, you know, as an artist, I'm looked at as, oh, isn't that nice that you're doing some hobby work? Or isn't that nice that you're getting some therapy out of the art that you do? Because other folks can't separate the disability from the artwork and look at it as two different things. Although there's always going to be some kind of relationship between the two. I wonder, is there something in particular that you, given what you just shared with us, that you want folks to take away from from the interaction with your work? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a complicated question because I've definitely learned over the years that there is something uh, very important about thinking about an audience as having the power or ability to engage in your work in a way that you're not anticipating or expecting. Mm -hmm. So I have kind of had to push myself in order to understand that art really isn't about Um, or it doesn't have to be about having one specific message and only feeling successful if that message is understood. So I am open to people coming to the art with their own kind of experiences of the world and their own way of engaging with it and and, and then moving from there. But in the same sense, What perhaps is important to me is that when engaging with my work, it is about thinking about the world and systems and institutions and not just individuals and individual experiences. Those are are huge questions, Jenna. Um, You know, like it's and of course, it's the artists that end up tackling these questions because we often we often are engaged in them as part of our lived experience and are looking for ways of being able to both share the experience and and as you say, ask these questions and, and poke people to think about things and how how and what they can do in their lives to make change, I suppose which is all very interesting to me, especially when I, I speak to artists that have an activism relationship to their artwork. And I guess I, a, a part of me wonders where this drive for activism comes from you particularly. 
and and what you see your art doing in the future um, in relationship to that? You know, I don't know if I have a clear answer for that. I've just always been kind of pulled into or driven to understanding that the world has a like the world is on fire it feels yeah. like and and we have to do something about it i do remember when i came to toronto and i was looking for community so perhaps some of the initial motivations were were just feeling so isolated and needing and wanting community but i do remember when i had initially reached out to some other folks who were doing more general disability community work and one of my first conversations with someone in toronto they had explicitly and i can't even remember what prompted them to say this but they had explicitly said well yeah we don't do activism like we're here for um and i can't remember how they qualified what they were there for but they did specifically say they don't do activism and i hadn't gone to that conversation looking for an activist space. But I do remember feeling the rub where I was like, well, why don't you do activism? Yeah. What does that mean? And what is that doing? And what is that hesitation around activism? And so from there, I connected in with folks who were doing activism. So I was pulled into seeing activist work as being a place where it is it's it's I mean it's so complex because it really is about community it really is about celebration it is not just you know frontline like on a protest doing the those kind of stereotypical images of activism there's so much more to it but Yeah, I just remember kind of early things like that, where it was like, when folks very distinctly said, yeah, we don't do that. For me, I always was like, but why? You know, you talk a lot about community and how that relates and and impacts your work. And I wonder about where the physical work takes place for you like are you are you creating out of your home do you have a workshop do you go to a community space and invite others into that world where do you where do you create jenna yeah that's a great question because i think another like on the flip side of that is while community is so important to me i also have experienced extended periods of my life where i have been in such extreme isolation And that is kind of tied into my own experiences of mental health or however you want to kind of name or frame those experiences. So I create in a lot of different spaces. I do have a studio that I work from, and it's a textile-specific studio. Uh, It's called the Contemporary Textile Studio Co-op. And what I love about that place is that it is a community space. It's a cooperative studio. So there are about 12 members who come to the space and, and use it you know, for their own, for our own solo practices. And yet there's a community element to being able to share resources and space and just time together. 
I also make out of my home. There are lots and lots of times where I'm just unable to leave my bed, unable to leave my home space where I'm moving very slowly. So I work mm -hmm. from home. And then I bring my work into different community spaces when it's possible to work with others um, as well. So sometimes it's not at my studio and it's not at home, but it might be at some other type of community space. And, and what is it about the medium of, of fabric, the tactile medium that is so appealing to you? Like, you know, of all the things you could choose as an artist, why fabrics? To be honest, for a long time, I didn't consider myself an artist. It wasn't something that a lot of people made me feel was like an accessible way to frame the work that I do. I started making art and now I do strongly position it as art, but I started making art when I was 12. Well, before that, but really concentrated started when I was 12 and my dad had passed away. And as a result, I got sent to my dad's sister's house for a couple of months in the summer immediately after he had passed away. And my aunt is an avid quilter. She does that more or less for her livelihood. She barters with her quilts. She spends all of her time kind of making and teaching quilting. And so we spent a couple of, uh, you know, an extended period of time together where I just really was immersed in talking about my dad, in talking about his family, in talking yeah. about memories. And those were deeply tied to the quilt that we were making together at the time and deeply tied to the fabric that was a part of it. So it really was from there outwards that I fell in love with working with textiles as a medium. And do you still have that quilt? Yeah, I do. And I didn't finish it because because my aunt insisted that I hand quilt that one and I haven't quite finished it even since I was 12. But I do. And I have all sorts of other quilts that kind of come from that time and come from uh, that space where, you know, I just recently, um, my mom gifted me a quilt that was hanging in our house for a long time that was all of the fabrics from clothing of my paternal grandmother and oh. also my aunt recently made for me a new quilt in which she really highlighted the relationship between my father and his father and so there's a lot of memory work that happens within the quilting. Yeah it sounds a lot like it's almost embedded in your family culture your family history I, I really love that idea because I don't I don't have a lot of that um, in my family to be able to connect to. And so the idea of having something that is so tied to memory and uh, even sensory, right, that the feel of somebody's clothing or, or that kind of thing is really it feels very soothing to me as a human being to know that 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 these things get to live on in this way. 
Absolutely. And you know what? I think that they can feel all sorts of things, you know, like when I think about quilts and the things that happen within that space, when whether your quilt is on your bed or on your couch or, or you know, on the floor with a baby or whatever, a quilt yeah. can be soothing. A quilt can be a place where you, you know, your leaky body exists on your quilt. You cry into your quilt. You have, you know, intimate experiences on your quilt. It can be a thing of power, a place of rage, a thing of, you know, I mean, it is a place of community, but we just tend to ignore all these different facets that happen in the place and space where quilts exist. Thank you for that, that lovely imagery that's going to stay with me for a very long time. And what's coming up as I hear our sound go off in the background is transitioning into our game called the Mixed Bag. Jenna, are you willing to play? I know it feels like an awkward transition, but um, I I have a couple of questions I'd like to ask you. What do you think? All right, I'm up for it. All right, we got three random questions, about 25 seconds on the clock. Who's counting? Here's your first question, Jenna. First thing that comes to your mind when I ask you, where is one place in the world that you would like to visit that you've never been before? Oh, no. I <laughs> I said I am game for this, but I'm really terrible at coming up with one place answers. You know, I think I just like to be outdoors. So I'm not going to name a space or a place, but COVID has had me way more indoors than I would like. And I would just like to be outside somewhere. Anywhere outside. I love that. Um, Question two is also kind of a, a one answer question, but let's just throw it at you and see where it sticks. What's the best movie you've ever seen? Oh no! <laughs> Favorite I, movie ever. <laughs> What's it? I I actually don't watch a lot of movies, and I have a terrible memory for movies. But the other day, I was talking about some of the hilarious movies that were my favorites when I was growing up, and. Absolutely, for sure. Uh, when I was about twelve years old, uh, my favorite movie was. Braveheart, which is oh, that's one of my favorites too. <laughs> which is very stereotypical because yeah, I, and- I grew up in a house. <laughs> I mean, I grew up Highland dancing. I grew up in a house where uh, us, like my siblings and I, were the only uh, ones born in Canada. I lived with my mom and my grandparents, and and they didn't come to Canada until my mom was almost an adult. Well, there you go. Oh, our love of Braveheart. And the last question for you, Jenna, and really, really quickly, what is your favorite sound or noise? Uh, my favorite sound or noise is definitely music. Music. Love it. Jenna, I could spend so much time talking with you just about who you are as an artist. So thank you so much for joining us. But before I let you go, where can we find you on the WWW? Yeah, right now, the best place to find me would be on Instagram. So my handle is field notes underscore by underscore jenna reed and i'll spell that out for you field notes is f-i-e-l-d-n-o-t-e-s underscore b-y underscore j-e-n-n-a-r-e-i-d 
And before we say goodbye, here's the quote of the day by Leo Burnett. Curiosity about life in all its aspects is still the secret of great creative people. Thanks for listening to Accessing Art with Amy. This podcast is produced by me, Amy Amanti, technical production by Jacob Shemansky and Sam Robinson. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. If you'd like to reach out to the show with any comments, you can email us at feedback at ami.ca or by telephone 1-866-509-4545. Thanks again to my guest today, Jenna Reed. Keep exploring. See you next time. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.